Well, good morning again. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 6 today for our reading. Genesis chapter 6 will begin in verse 9 and through the end of this chapter. As we continue the flood account, in verse 9 we read, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a, a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, some of you are aware that uh, my daughter, uh, Abby, my middle daughter, had a child this week, so we're celebrating children. And so on Thursday, uh, little Peter Allen King was born into the world. Eight pounds, seven ounces, 21 inches. I've got, uh, my oldest daughter has a, a son named Caspian, so we, if you're into Narnia, we have got Prince Caspian, now we have King Peter. So we're, we're pretty excited about this. So, but uh, mother and child are doing very, very well. Well, today we're talking about finding peace in the storm. And I don't know what storm uh, you're in the middle of, or maybe you've got one on the horizon. I'm not sure what your story is. But several years ago, when I was serving in Budapest, Hungary, I received a contact from a, a married woman in our church. She needed help. Her marriage wasn't going very well. They had several children, so it was a younger family. And so we made arrangements to meet, and I started to hear her story. And the situation was she was basically biracial, had a Hungarian and Nigerian background, and her husband was Nigerian. And it turns out that actually he was a Nigerian prince of one of the tribes of Nigeria. 
And as a businessman, he had business all over Europe, and from time to time, he would go on business trips, and she discovered over time that he actually had women in different locations throughout Europe that he would meet with. And uh, she would check voicemail, emails, texts, and find out that he was basically having an affair with several women. And she would begin to confront him and point out that this is horrible, this cannot be going on in our marriage. What are you doing? Things were not going very well. He didn't want to hear anything to do about what she had to say. And again, they're still coming to church and they're in conflict. And of course, I'm completely unaware of this conflict that's going on. And it's getting more and more difficult. To such a degree, it got so difficult that at one point, a knife was introduced into the discussion and he had to take it away from her and she ended up cutting her hand. So as I met with her, her hand was bandaged and she was telling me of her problems. I don't know about you, but that's quite a storm, wouldn't you say? Not good. As we'll see today in our study, it's our sin and rebellion against God that will always bring about the righteous storm of God's judgment but we'll see that God has provided a way for us to find peace and safety in the midst of the storm, no matter what. Our faithful participation in God's provision will secure our salvation through every storm. In our series, we've gone back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. Today, we're finding peace in the storm somehow. We're looking at the account of Noah's Ark, one of the most well-documented accounts of antiquity. And by the way, there are more accounts of a catastrophic global flood in virtually every culture on the planet than any other storyline. The Chinese have one of the most developed flood accounts in antiquity. But today I have three spiritual principles for you to consider as we continue to unpack this narration of the beginning things of Genesis. Don't lose sight of what's going on here. Remember Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden and there was a promise that God made to the evil one that a seed would come from the woman who would destroy you once and for all. Again, if you're the evil one, God gave you the game plan. So you're like, boy, I must stop that seed somehow. And sure enough, Cain and Abel were born into the world. And surely the evil one thought, I know if I can get one of them to follow me and have him kill the other, I win. And in chapter four, it's exactly what happened. Cain killed Abel. But remember, the evil one is not all-knowing. Why? Because the seed line did not go through Abel. The seed line went through Seth. And so another child was born, and Seth comes along. And now the descendants of Cain have now intermarried with the descendants of Seth, the righteous line with the unrighteous line, to such a degree that everything is now fully corrupt. And now God says, all right, I'm going to destroy. We're going to start all over. We're going to just wipe it out and start over. This is where we are in this ongoing attack on the seed line that we're going to see throughout all the Old Testament, all the way till we get to Christ, who is the promised redeemer, the once and for all child who would come from the woman who would destroy evil once and for all. But before we study today, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, these things matter desperately for all of us. And Lord, we ask that you would... Just be our guide, be our teacher, open your word to us in an amazing way. 
that we might see things in it that we've never seen before from you, not from this speaker, but from you with what you're showing us. Because, Lord, we need to hear from you. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word to us. Open our hearts and our minds to receive it. And, Lord, open your word to us by the power of your spirit that we might have access to your truth. Open our eyes, Lord. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth. Our sin and rebellion against God will always, 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 always bring about the righteous storm of God's judgment. Notice what it said in verse 9 and 10. These are the generations of Noah. This word generations, in Hebrew, that's the word toledoth. That toledoth statement becomes a literary marker in the text to help us understand that the flood account is now beginning. This is going to be reflected back in Genesis 10.1. These are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood as well. So we see this reflection uh, with uh, Genesis 10.1. We see this beginning here in uh, 6.9. And dead center in this passage, don't miss this, we'll see this in the weeks to come, is Genesis 8.1. And in Genesis 8.1, it says, And God remembered Noah. That's the centerpiece of this whole discussion. Don't lose sight of that. God's going to remember Noah and preserve him as a remnant. But here we have Noah and his three sons. And Noah was a righteous man, it says, blameless in his generations. First of all here, God sees our sin and rebellion. Look what it says in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Notice what the language here. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. God is seeing this, and God saw the earth, it says. God sees everything, doesn't he? Psalm 14.2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. God sees it all. Numbers 32, 23 reminds us that uh, there's no way to get away from God's purview. How so? Be sure your sins will find you out. Maybe you're thinking, well, I can do what I want and get away with it. No one's going to know. I can go to a far country, do what I like, and... As long as no one knows, everything's fine. I can do what I want. Yeah, but God yet sees it. He sees it all. As sure as you're sitting there, God sees our sin and rebellion. But not only that, all of us are corrupt in God's sight. Now, some of you will kind of push back against it and go, well, I'm not all that bad. I'm a pretty good person. Most of the text says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Filled with violence? Our news headlines bear witness to this in no uncertain terms. We see the horrible atrocities that are taking place in Ukraine daily now, and even closer to home. One killed and 20 wounded by gunfire in Arkansas at a car show yesterday, of all things. Like, really? Well, I'm not all that violent, but I hate that guy. Oh, well, there you go, okay. Remember, Jesus talks about heart murder, right, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount? You know, maybe you never killed anybody, but maybe you've been murdering people in your heart for years. The earth was filled with violence. Who are you despising? 
All of us are corrupt in God's sight. And the earth is still corrupt. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have missed the mark. None of us are walking in perfection. I know I'm not. Jeremiah reminds us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Think of some of the horrible things that are going on even right now. You just get, we just get, it blows our mind with how horrible it is. People, as Paul writes, inventors of evil, it seems. And our hearts are not just partly cloudy, but we are completely and entirely filthy. All of us are corrupt in God's sight. We all need the cleansing power of Christ in our lives. But not only that, don't miss this, the wages of sin is death. We're dealing with a rebellious, violent culture, and it's no different than what we had in Noah's day. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, verse 13, and for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now notice the efficiency of God here. He doesn't need to create anything to bring about his judgment. It's all ready to go. I will destroy them with the earth. I'm just going to use the earth to do the work. Romans 6.23, Paul reminds us, for the wages of sin is death. And somehow we kind of think, well, maybe not for me, not so much, I'm, I'm okay. No, the wages of sin is death for everyone. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You guys, this is so important for you to get a clue on, for all of us to get a clue on. Darren, Kevin, Steve, Mike, Rob, Chuck. You don't know any of these people. I do. They're all dead. Why? Because they refused to bend their knee to Christ. I even had opportunity to speak with each one of these at great length, and they refused to bend their knee to Christ, and they're gone. Many of these much younger than me. They would not listen to clear words from his scriptures. Six guys who are gone. Another young man I know, Brian, he's in jail for life for multiple murders. He would not bend his knee to Christ. Beloved, the wages of sin is death. The way of the transgressor is difficult. We're dealing with God's economy here. But some of us are thinking, well, I can kind of do my own thing. I'll be okay. No, you're dealing with God Almighty. Who are you trying to kid? Jesus teaches this in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Can we do some math here? How many gates are there? How many? Two. Okay, some of you got lost there for a minute. There's two gates, narrow one, wide one, right? This is not complicated. Narrow one, wide one. In the narrow one, we have few. In the wide one, many. In the narrow one, leads to life. And the other one leads to destruction, death. This is not complicated. And yet we complicate it. Sometimes, you know, I've had a guy one time talk to me, he's like, well, you know, I've got my own arrangement with God. I'm like, really? There's no other arrangement other than Christ. There's no other arrangement. There's no, you know, there's no Ron Gate, you know, there's no Dave Gate. 
than the narrow one or the wide one. By the way, I've got to ask, you know, when there's so many crowfoots, do you become crow feet? I just, <laughs> I'm just, I was, I've been puzzled by this. Anyway, I'm sorry, I had to go there. There are two gates. And the question is, which one are you in? And there's some who are dressed up in the wide gate, trying to look like they're in the narrow gate, and they're just lost, and they're under destruction. What are you, what, where are you? Are, are you in the narrow way? Are you putting your faith in, have you bent your knee to Christ so that you can find your life? Have you submitted to him in everything? Or there's some things you're still holding out on? Well, there's some things that I want to hold on to. No, give it all to him. Find life. Our sin and rebellion against God will always bring about the righteous storm of God's judgment. He sees our sin and rebellion. All of us are corrupt in his sight. And the ways of sin is death and Again, someone will say, well, I'm not all that bad. I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Surely they deserve horrible things. Scripture makes it very clear to sin in one aspect of the law is to miss the whole thing. If you've lied, if you've misrepresented, if you've thought ugly thoughts, you've desired people inappropriately, you've hated your brother, you're guilty of it all. If you've had idols in your life, you've, you've held on to things over against God, you're in abject rebellion against him. And you need salvation. So here's the good news. God has provided a way for us to find peace and safety in the midst of the storm. How so? Well, first of all here, God gave clear instructions for salvation. He's given us very clear instructions of what we need to do that we might be saved. What did he tell Noah back in verse 14 of Genesis 6? Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, Noah. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and Set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Here we have this ark made out of gopher wood, some sort of indigenous hardwood we're not familiar with. Mind you, some of this wood would have already been on the planet for well over 900 to 1,000 years. So this is very well-seasoned wood with rooms. Literally, in the text, in the Hebrew, it would be nests. Cover it, it says. And the word for the Hebrew for cover here is kippur. And by the way, that's the same word that we use for atonement, where the blood of the lamb covers our sin. And so this ark is to be covered inside and out, sealed for salvation. And for us, of course, Jesus is our ultimate covering for sin. Now in terms of these dimensions, still used today for shipbuilding and ocean tankers. It's uh, virtually uncapsizable. In his book, The Genesis Record by Henry Morris, a couple thoughts here I want to share with you. This is what uh, Henry Morris says. To be very conservative, assume that the cubit 
have been only about 17.5 inches. Again, that's from the elbow to the tip of your finger. The Egyptians, I should say, in that case, the ark would have been about 438 feet long, 72.9 feet wide, and 43.8 feet high. It can be shown hydrodynamically that a gigantic box of such dimensions would be exceedingly stable, almost impossible to capsize. Even in a sea of gigantic waves, the ark would be tilted through any angle up to just short of 90 degrees and would immediately thereafter right itself again. And that's why modern-day shipbuilding still uses it. Furthermore, it would tend to align itself parallel with the direction of major wave advance and thus be subject to minimum pitching most of the time. With the dimensions as calculated, the total, watch this, the total volumetric capacity of the ark was approximately 1,400,000 cubic feet, which is equal to the volumetric capacity of 522 standard livestock cars such as used on modern American railroads. Since it is known that about 240 sheep can be transported in one stock car, a total of over 125,000 sheep could have been carried on the ark with no problem. A few other details of the ark's construction are given. It was to have three stories, each 10 cubits high, and each of these decks was to be divided into various rooms, literally nests, thus apparently each of, of appropriate size for the individual animals to rest in. The ark was to be made of gopher wood, the exact nature of which is unknown today, though apparently some type of dense hardwood, and it was to be made waterproof and resistant to decay by impregnation with pitch inside and out. The word for pitch, as I mentioned, the Hebrew kafor, is different from that used in other places in the Old Testament. It is equivalent to the Hebrew kafar, to cover, and in the noun form means simply a covering. However, it is also the regular Hebrew word for atonement, as in Leviticus 17.11. For example, in essence, therefore this is the first mention of atonement in the Bible, here with the ark. Whatever the exact nature of this pitch may have been, it suffices as a perfect covering for the ark to keep out the waters of judgment, just as now the blood of the lamb provides a perfect atonement for the soul, as his blood covers our sin. Now, what about the animals and how we get all these critters in here? Well, we're told that the animals were brought to Noah. Most land animals, by the way, are pretty small, aren't they? So this did not, by any means, represent an impossible task. Authorities on biological taxonomy estimate that there are less than 18,000 species of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians <coughs> living in the world today. This number might be doubled to allow for known extinct land animals, <coughs> that is, those known from actual fossil records. Allowing then for two of each species, there might have to be a total of about 72,000 animals on the ark, say 75,000, round up a little bit, to allow for the five extra animals in each clean species. Since, as we've already seen, the ark could have carried as many as 125,000 sheep, and since the average size of a land animal is surely less than that of a sheep, like a squirrel, it is obvious that no more than 60% of its capacity would have had to be used for animals. Actually, it would have been less than this, since the biblical kind is probably considerably broader than that of the arbitrary species category of modern biology. So, for example, how many dogs do I need to get all the dogs on the ark? Two. You go, oh, you know, I, I don't need a beagle and a Doberman? No. As long as all the genome information is in the two, we've got them all. Not a problem. And then the question is, what about the dinosaurs? Well, look, guys, 
The largest dinosaur egg that you've ever found on the planet that's fossilized, is what's left out there, is about this big. Biggest dinosaur egg right there. You mean even a T-Rex comes from something that big? Yeah, right there, that big. T-Rex would fill this whole room, right? But its egg was only about this big. So when a T-Rex hatches, how big is it? Here it is. Okay, you're holding it, right? So now you're holding some baby T-Rex. You think you're going to put, you know, full-grown T-Rexes in there? No, let's get some young ones. We'll put them right next to the bears. They'll be hibernating anyway. They'll be fine. This is not a problem. I mean, Noah's not, you know, he's not an imbecile. He understands what needs to happen. So all the creatures would have been on there. Not a problem at all. Totally fit. Totally consistent with what we see here. The other thing that's interesting is in the roof, there's, in some translations, it talks about a window. But in the translation, uh, like the NAS or the NIV, you'll talk about a window, but the window dimension only has one dimension. So, Gary, if I told you to go to Menards or over to Home Depot and say, I want you to go get a window, I'm going to give you one dimension for the window. What are you going to do with that, Gary? Not much, right. Need two dimensions. Why? Because it was one dimension in light of the fact that it was basically a perforation in the top of the whole thing around the top. One cubit up, all the way around. By the way, if you're not sure about these things and what this would look like, I encourage you to go down to Kentucky, go to the Ark Encounter down there, check it out. It's a, there is a biblical-sized Ark. You can go walk in and check it out and go, whoa, this thing's huge. Fantastic. And not only that, there was a door. There's a door in the side of this ark. Obviously, if there's no door, there's no way to get in, right? This door on the ark, of course, becomes the gateway to life, doesn't it? John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. Matter of fact, in John 10, 9, Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the way. He is the door. He's the way for salvation. Will you go in? Will you find hope? Will you find forgiveness? Will you find your life? The second thing here, God gave clear instructions about the coming destruction. Not only did he give instructions on how to build the ark, but hey, there's some bad things coming. Verse 17, for behold, I'll, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. That's what's going to happen. I am bringing a flood, he says. God has given us clear instructions about his coming judgment. I'd like to remind you again, I reminded you of this last week. He judged the world before, and he will most certainly judge it again. Count on it. Second Peter reads, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. There will be those who go, yeah, you keep talking about his coming. When's he going to come? Uh, we think you're ridiculous. For they deliberately overlook this fact. The New American Standard, it escapes their notice. But the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, that is the water, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for what? Fire. Last time was a wet one. Next one's going to be a hot one. Stay tuned. 
being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You have been duly warned. God gave clear instruction about the coming destruction. But not only that, God gave clear instructions about his provision. Notice what he says in verse 18, and this is beautiful. But I, God says, I will establish my covenant with you. Now in the Hebrew, the word covenant is the word berit, which means cutting. God is saying, I'm going to cut a deal with you. And by the way, that's going to come to fruition when they come out of the ark and animals are going to be slain. They're going to be cut asunder, right? They're going to be cut asunder. Basically, God going on record with humanity saying, may I be torn in two if I don't follow through with what my agreement is here. He says these beautiful words, I will establish my covenant with you. I will cut a deal with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds and the animals according to their kinds. And every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. And also take with you every sort of the food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. This incredible protection through covenant. And now we have access to the ongoing covenant from God through Christ who now has been rendered or torn asunder for us. Again, notice God's efficiency. The very water here with Noah the water that brings destruction will be the very water that brings about salvation. We see the protection for Noah and his family, food and shelter, protection for the animals. We have instructions for our provision right now. What are those instructions? You recall at one point, Paul and Silas were in jail one night for preaching the gospel. And of course, what are they doing? They're, they're actually chained in shackles and they're, they're singing praises to God in the middle of the night. And there's a great earthquake and all the chains come off and the doors open up and they don't leave. And the jailer shows up thinking all is lost and he uh, thinks he's, you know, he's going to lose his own life anyway so he might as well just t take his own life and get it over with. And they, wait, 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 no, we're all here. We haven't left. And this jailer is amazed and the jailer called for lights in Acts 16, 29. And he rushed in trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He asked the same question to Noah, right? What must I do to be saved? Well, get in the boat, pal. What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Beloved, God has provided a way for us to find peace and safety right now in the midst of whatever storm you're going through right now. He has given us clear instructions for salvation. He has warned us with clear instructions about the coming destruction and about his provision even right now through Christ. Lastly, this morning, our faithful participation in God's provision will secure our salvation through every storm. In other words, God has made the way. The question is, will you participate in the way he's provided? In other words, objectively, God is the author of salvation, but subjectively, you've got to get in the boat. God has done it all through Christ. 
but have you repented of your sin and given your life to Christ? Notice what it says in the text in verse 22. After God gives Noah all these instructions, notice what it says, very simple. Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. We're the ones who make it complicated. <laughs> he just did what God said. Oh, that we would just take God by faith and just do what he says. And so first of all here we see by faith Noah built the ark. By faith Noah brought animals into the ark. By faith Noah took food into the ark. And by faith Noah entered the ark himself. You know, God might want you to dig a ditch, right? But man, you better bring your shovel. Now, he's the one who makes it deep and straight, right? But you better start digging. Our faithful participation in God's provision will secure our salvation through every storm. Hebrews 11:7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark, for the saving of his household, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes, how? By faith. Do you believe? Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And here Noah is a Christ type. At that time, the only salvation was found through Noah. And now salvation can only be found through faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what? Paul and Silas said to the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Beloved, we are not being called to build an ark or even to get into a boat, but we have been called to believe in the Lord Jesus. As I met with this woman in Budapest and I heard her story, I started to share some principles from God's word with her about what she needed to do. One of the things that kept making things problematic is she kept trying to find more dirt on this guy. And I simply said to her, you know what he is, don't you? And she's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you know what he is. What is he? He's an adulterer. Do you need more data? No, you don't. So quit looking. Quit looking. Turn that off. You know what he is. You know he's in rebellion against God. I know you think he's in rebellion against you. We understand that, and he's hurting you, no doubt. But ultimately, his bigger problem is he's in rebellion against God, and God's going to have to deal with him. We explored options. She had every right to put this guy away and write and divorce him, right? He's an ongoing, unrepentant, adulterous man. Jesus makes it very clear. Put him away. But in her culture, there was no way she could leave because she would lose everything for herself and for her kids. So she knew she was going to have to abide in whatever messed up situation this was. I said, so here are your options. Either you can keep trying to corner him on how wrong he is about how ridiculous his rebellion is, which won't go well for you because it hasn't been going very well, has it? She's like, no, it hasn't, i.e. knife. Right, that's not, that's not good, right? Or there's another option perhaps you haven't considered. I dare you to love this man the way Christ would love this man in such a way that would blow his mind so that any woman in comparison in this planet would just be nothing compared to the outrageous love you showed this guy. 
And she kind of looked at me like, huh? Like, uh, I'm not sure I'm with you on that, Pastor Brad. I said, well, the, the alternative is uh, you're going to sit there with an unhappy status quo. You're going to stay together and just hate each other. Or you're going to make it worse and have more violence. Or I triple dog dare to love this guy like nobody's business. I dare you. And she looked me over and said, okay, I'll trust God on that. And you guys, unbelievable. One by one, these other women, they went to the wayside. And this marriage was completely restored. And to this day, they're still walking together with God, and it's a beautiful thing. The last Sunday I was in Budapest, her husband couldn't be there, but she presented me with a card. And she said, my husband wanted you to have this. I opened the card, and there was $1,000 of cash in it. Basically, thank you, Pastor Brad. Well, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for what God can do when we'll just simply trust him in the midst of the storm, no matter what's going on. Our sin and rebellion against God will always bring about the righteous storm of God's judgment, but God has provided a way for us to find peace and safety in the midst of the storm. Our faithful participation in God's provision will secure our salvation through every storm. Beloved, God sees our corruption, and our corruption only brings destruction. God has given clear instruction concerning our provision from all eternity. He has sent his son to intervene on our behalf. Which gate are you in? Are you in the narrow gate? Or are you still over in the wide one trying to make that work for yourself? It won't work. We need to faithfully participate in God's ordained provision. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We all need to be covered by his blood. We need to enter into his peace, bringing others with us, bringing others along to peace and safety. He is the door. He is our provision from the coming judgment. Would you please stand as we close our service? Our gracious Heavenly Father, there are those who... Uh, this morning, in all likelihood, given their lives to you, but they're dabbling. They're uh, monkeying around with things they shouldn't be messing around with. And it was very easy for us to accommodate little private little sins, little things I do when I want to do them because I want to do what I want to do. Lord, help us understand how messed up that is. Lord, may all of us in this room come to a place of sincerely bending our knee before you. Sincerely saying, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will be done in my life. Oh, that we would just trust you. That we would trust you with your goodness of what you are capable of doing by acting rightly, by submitting to you in all things. Lord, we recognize that even in our own strength, we can't do that. But we need to be empowered by your Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, your Spirit in us through faith, that we might find our way here. 
our way of submission to you. Lord, if there is someone who's wrestling with these things, it's my prayer that even right now they'd say, I'm done with that stuff. I want to walk with Christ. I'm tired of the wide gate. I want to be in the narrow gate. The wide gate leads to destruction. The narrow gate leads to life. Lord, for those who don't know you, it's also my prayer that they would turn to you even right now and by faith invite you into their life, invite you to be Lord and Savior even right now, that they would get into the boat, as it were, to get into Christ, that they might be saved. Lord, we're living in a dark world and dark times. It just seems to just continues to go from bad to worse. And that's what the Apostle Paul had said in his writings. But Lord, may it not escape our notice that you've judged the world before and you'll judge it again. The next one's going to be a hot one. May we all be found safe. Safe and sound in the provision of Christ. Lord, that's my prayer. That's my hope for the people here at Oakwood. That we'll be found in you. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your revelation. Thank you for even this account that points us back to Christ. From the covering of the ark to the covering of the cross. From Noah, a faithful servant, to Christ himself, who laid down his life that we might live. Oh, God, help us to measure these things well and to walk accordingly. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Have a fantastic week. Enjoy the spring.